Back to the resume thing. When was the last time you had to update it for a new job or new position within uh, the same place that you worked? Or maybe it was your school transcripts. Uh, you were applying to a new school, and they asked for transcripts from your old, old school uh, to prove that you took and passed the classes that were necessary uh, for acceptance into the new school. So have you needed a resume or transcripts or some way to verify to others that you were who you claimed you were, that you had done what you were claiming you had done, and that you can do what you're claiming that you could do. When was the last time you ever had to verify that to somebody else? Kind of formally, maybe on paper, or in an interview setting. See, as we come back to John chapter 5, as Andy has led us to this morning, and we'll see Christ verify his identity to the Pharisees. Uh, This is the last section in this chapter where we see Christ's response to the Pharisees' rejection of Christ's demonstration of power where he healed on the Sabbath and his authority where he claimed to be equal with God from verses 1 to 18 where David taught us a few weeks ago. So the Pharisees, if you don't recall, the Pharisees got a little bit bent out of shape Um, They missed the miracle of healing, but were concerned both that the man who was healed was working on the Sabbath because he was carrying his bed, um, and also that Christ had healed him on the Sabbath in violation um, of the law. And we'll, we'll come back in a little bit to the Pharisees' relationship to the law and the emphasis they placed, and as Andy just read, the glory that they took in their obedience to the law. But here, this section ending in John chapter 5 Um, is that last section of Christ's response to them about their rejection. And it's the section where we see him verify to them that he is who he claims to be and is able to do what he's claiming to do. So it'll be like we're in the room with the Pharisees doing their interview during their interview of Christ. We'll watch him walk through his resume section by section and confirm who he claims he is. We'll have a copy of the resumes there in John chapter 5. Uh, verses 30 to 47. So you can turn there and it'd be like you're looking at his resume. And we'll look for ourselves to see Christ's references, his qualifications, his recommendations, and his summary of experience. And this will help us, I'll say it with me, we're back to John chapter 20, 31, that'll help us believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing we can have life in his name. So we'll see the verification of that. So I'm going to read this long section, uh, just to kind of set the whole stage, see this whole section that we're going to work through. So you can follow along, John chapter 5. I'll be starting in verse 30 and reading to the end of the chapter. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, 
bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you have not received me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So here, this section, Christ, to use the analogy, lays out his resume. um, Paragraph by paragraph, so to speak, to talk about his references and qualifications and recommendation and a summary of experience that are all common sections that we would build on a resume ourselves. But we'll see by the end that in the process of walking through this, he kind of takes control of the conversation. They are listening, and he is giving a monologue, so to speak, not a back and forth. They are listening to him validate himself. And in validating himself, he challenges them and challenges the whole line of questioning they have in the beginning. So let's go ahead and jump right in. The reference um, in this resume, so to speak, this reference is from John the Baptist. John, the one who is baptizing on verses 33 to 35. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he is borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice in that light for a while in that light. So the Pharisees had already gone to John the Baptist and had asked, are you the Christ? You know, because of his teaching, because of the baptism that he was performing, um, are, you Christ, are you the Christ? And he said, no, are you the prophet? Are you Elijah, are you the one that Moses spoke of? And each time John said no. So they asked him, then who are you? And on what ground are you baptizing? Now, they primarily asked that of, of Christ and his disciples as well. But they went to John and said, we know there's something different. We know there is some authority in you and the purpose and what you're teaching and the people that are, that are resonating with your teaching. Um, it is not inconsistent with the prophecy we're all familiar with. So are you the one that has been promised? And John says no. So they move on. And we, we saw this in chapters 1 and 2. Well, then are you the one that was referenced, you know, the, the prophet or the one that Moses wrote about? And each time John said no, but he, but he said, what I am doing is I am another one coming to prepare for one who's, and as we, we've read this before, whose shoes I'm not even worthy to untie, somebody that is greater than me. I'm just here to prepare the way. And they rejoiced in that. The Pharisees were excited for that for a little while. See, the Pharisees had already interviewed John in chapter 1, and John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, referencing Christ. 
and verse 29. Uh, and then in chapter 3, and I'm going to read 27 to 36, kind of a long passage, but again, helpful for us to, to wrap our heads around it again, in the context of Christ's response to the Pharisees, validating that he was who he said he was, and was there to do what he said he was there to do. So from John chapter 3, verse 27, John answered, and John is teaching his disciples. They were concerned that Christ was getting a larger following than John was. So they were at, John's disciples were asking him, doesn't this bother you? You're preparing for the Messiah. Shouldn't people be listening to you instead of somebody else? And here's John's teaching back to his disciples and then in hearing to the Pharisees. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride, who has the bride, is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He comes from heaven and is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has sent and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So this is John's reference of Christ. And he summarizes the authority of Christ in these statements. Verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. In verse 34, he says, he whom God has sent speaks the word of God. By his own contrast, John is saying, I am preparing the way, but the one who sent is actually speaking the words of God. I am referring to God. He was distancing himself for their sake, that no, I am not the one sent. I am not the Messiah. I am here to prepare for the Messiah, yes. And then verse 36, that he who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So John heightened that reference by saying, if you reject the Son, you're rejecting the life that comes from God. And then Christ, even after saying to the Pharisees in John chapter 5, well, you've known of John, you've known what John has told you, you've already interviewed him, or in a legal term, you've already had a deposition with John, you've gotten John's testimony. What else do you need? But Christ says, and by the way, I don't even need John's testimony. As accurate as it is and as true as it is, here it is. This is the first, first reference, first uh, part of the verification or validation that I am who I'm claiming to be. Here it is, and I don't even need that. He gives it as a layer, though, that they can believe. And requiring anybody can say, well, this is what, who I am or what I can do. We don't even accept individual testimony until we know that person and have reason to trust them and believe them and are, have already validated who they are. And then in future claims, we can, based on our previous experience, 
Well, they didn't have this previous experience with Christ yet. So he's laying this out. And then he makes a connection to the Pharisees. He says, you for a while rejoiced in what John was saying. What's changed? You believed him before. You were excited about the message he was giving. But not now. What's changed? And we'll come back to that. The next section of the resume, so to speak, the next layers is qualifications. What qualifications does Christ have to be the Messiah? Verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Christ clarifies that the next layer of verification is even more important than the first. He's building or adding, um, heightening the importance or the value of each of these sections. Christ basically says that my actions speak louder than John's words. And John's words are true and John's words are accurate. But what I'm already doing, what you can see me doing, trumps even that. What John has said about me. Christ says that it's even the Father sent Christ to do the things recorded by John, the author of the gospel, and we see them in the other gospels, consistent with what Christ taught in verses 19 to 30, where we learn of the complete unity between Christ, the Son, and God, the Father. Christ says, I'm doing these things because of these are the things that God does. And you can see this one demonstration in chapter 5 of healing the man. And we can look, you know, pull a broader... Um, context of the miracles Christ had done, even just in John, the book of John, water to wine, the authoritative teaching, and the healing. And in, in, even in um, the last section, um, of the, that we, the middle section of John chapter 5, we looked at the dead come to life. He's kind of setting the stage. I'm going to prove this to you again in a few chapters with raising Lazarus. And then again, looking, picturing a future resurrection as well. So as you layer in the other Gospels as well, they had seen Christ's miracles. Um, small groups, you know, private settings, beginning to get towards larger groups. In the, in the record of John, this chapter is a transition um, from more of a private, small group setting ministry to much more of public demonstration of his power and authority. But So Christ has said, my, re- my reference is from John. What John has said, you've already gone to him and you've already believed that and you rejoiced in that for a time. The next validation I give to you is the works I'm doing that you can see. Perhaps just in this chapter, look, I just healed a man. He, for 38 years, he was lame and couldn't walk or couldn't walk properly. And now he can even carry his bed on the Sabbath, which, has got, which is what's gotten you bent out of shape. Christ says, I am qualified to be the Messiah because I can do that which only God can do. And by doing it on the Sabbath, the day that was set as a remembrance of God's redemptive work, he says... Here's a trailer. Here's a teaser of my redemptive work. I can heal this man on the Sabbath and not get in trouble for it, even though they tried to you know, call him on it. That's what this whole conversation is about. So Christ says, the works that the Father sent me to do, the fact that the Father sent me to do this, and the things that I'm doing can only have been done by the Father. My actions speak louder than John's words. So that transitions... This, the Christ doing the works that the Father sent him to do transitions to the recommendation, so to speak. You know, John was the reference. Christ's miracles, the demonstration were his qualifications. That I have already done this work. I already have this power, this divine power. 
We get to the recommendation from God Himself in verses 37 and 38, from the Father Himself. Verse 37, And the Father who sent me has Himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom He has sent. Who? Back to where we started, if you've ever had to do a resume or in an application to school, um, and they wanted references and recommendations. Who has ever given you the highest recommendation uh, for acceptance to a job or a school or a setting like that? Maybe a current star employee that knows you and says, hey, this person would be a great person to work on our team or work for our company. Uh, maybe a manager kind of raising the, raising the level a little bit, the, the value of that recommendation, or maybe a vice president or somebody you know, at that level has given you a recommendation. Maybe a family member of the owner of the company or, or whatever layer, you know, these kind of things kind of heighten the value. They, they raise the value of that recommendation uh, when we include it in the stuff we turn in um, to apply to that school or to that job or position or whatever. So what's the highest recommendation we've ever received? Christ teaches at the very act of sending him, that through the very act of sending him, God the Father has verified the power and the authority of the Son. He says, I can't give you any higher recommendation than this, than God the Father has sent me. He has testified, just as John did, just as my works do, the things that you see me doing, the Father, just in sending me, has verified his full trust and confidence in my authority and ability and purpose. So Christ comes, he teaches the Pharisees, the Father who you respect, who you are basing everything on. He is the one who has sent me. And just the fact that he sent me, the fact alone that he sent me, is enough verification that I am who I claim to be, and I'm here to do what I'm claiming to do. And by stating the obvious, Christ adds another layer. None of the Pharisees had ever seen or heard God personally. God's personal, observable, and verbal presence hadn't been seen or heard of since the time of the prophets. And no one in Israel had seen or heard from a prophet in over 400 years of closing out the Old Testament prior to John the Baptist coming to make way for the Lord, to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. So Christ says, you haven't even seen or heard from God in 400 years. So he elevates himself above the self-important Pharisees, by dropping a bomb on them, by saying, in the very word of God, you don't even have living within you. And the whole reason this conversation started was the Pharisees challenged him for breaking one of the laws of the word of God. So that's, that's the start of this whole conversation, where the Pharisees said, God's word, God's law says this, honor the Sabbath, and you just broke it. What's your problem? We need to fix this. You shouldn't do that. They just started this conversation from the foundation, from their perspective, from the foundation of the authority of God's word. And they are to the point of, they are not contradicting, but they are ignoring the miracle, the miraculous healing to jump on Christ because of breaking of the law. So that's the position they came from. They came to Christ. Their challenge to Christ was built on the authority of God's word the law of Moses that said, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Don't do any work on the Sabbath day. And Christ tells them, 
you don't have God's Word abiding in your heart. You don't have God's Word abiding in you. And they're sitting back, scratching their heads, saying, wait a minute, the whole reason we're challenging you is because you challenged God's Word. You broke God's law. The reason Christ gives for this challenge to them is that they have rejected the one whom God sent. You claim he's challenging them to the Pharisees. You claim to have the foundation of God's word, the God who gave you his law. Yet you've rejected the one whom he sent. Christ saying, what that tells me is that you don't have God's word abiding in you. You may be following and you may be working hard to follow the structure of the law, but you don't have God's word abiding in you. So let's let pause for a minute, let that sink in again, because the Pharisees were going to great lengths as, as individuals, as a culture, as a religious structure. The Pharisees were going to great lengths privately and publicly to demonstrate their obedience to God's word. Christ said that was empty. Their personal, private demonstrations of piety and submission to God's word even to the point of having it printed or, or, or etched in leather and wrapping it around their arms and hanging basically from their head in front of their eyes so they would always see God's Word in front of their face, quite literally, was empty. Christ challenges them on that. So where would that put us as Liberty Hills Bible Church, claiming to seek, to understand, to apply, and to teach God's Word? If we ever reject, if we ever neglect the power and authority of Christ in our teaching and in our fellowship or anything we do, we are rejecting the very God who gave us the word that we claim to follow. I'll read that or state that again. But the Pharisees who went to great lengths to submit themselves and to keep God's word in front of their face and had the significant significantly organized structure of rules and laws to prevent them from neglecting it and from contradicting the Word of God, the law that was given. Yet Christ says, because you've rejected the one whom God sent, everything you're doing is empty and worthless. So for us as Liberty Hills Bible Church, claiming to do all things biblical and to seek to understand, to teach and to apply the Word of God, anytime we neglect the power and authority of Christ in our teaching or our fellowship or anything we do as individuals and families and as a body, we're rejecting the very God that we claim, that that gave us the word that we claim to be following, that we claim to be basing everything we do on as a church fellowship. That's a significant challenge, a significant danger um, to do that. So here, Christ transitioned to the last section of his resume, so to speak, with his summary of experience. He's just come from challenging the Pharisees, who've gone to great lengths to to structurally follow the law. And he says, yeah, but in doing so, it's empty, because you've neglected the God who gave you the law. Verses 39 to 40, he says that you search the Scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the Scriptures, that bear witness about me. Yet, verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. 
It's this ironic cycle in this challenge. The Pharisees looked at Scripture to learn and follow the law. Hence the whole issue in verse 18, where they said, you've dishonored the law by working on the Sabbath. The Pharisees looked at Old Testament Scripture to learn and follow the law. But the Scriptures describe the redemptive work of God, which is fulfilled in Christ. So Christ says, you're looking to the Scriptures because in them, the law, in them you feel you have eternal life. And did God initiate the sacrificial system as a, as a, as a representative and a preparation? Absolutely. But they looked at suddenly, they, they focused everything on the structure, the thing, and neglected the God that gave them the thing to help and to point out their need and to prepare for the ultimate Savior. So Christ says, you're looking to the Scripture, you're looking to the law for life, yet you've rejected the God who gave you His Word that you are claiming to follow to find life in His Word, that you've rejected this this cycle, this ironic cycle that they were trapped in. The Word, the entire Old Testament Scripture points to Christ and points to God's redemptive work on behalf of Israel and on behalf of all mankind. So Christ has gone through his resume, so to speak. He's lifted his, re- his um, reference. Here is John, the one baptizing, the one you rejoiced in his testimony of the coming of the Messiah. My, my very works, the things that I do, what I do, my actions speak louder than John's words. Then the actions that I'm doing, are sent, I'm sent to do these by the Father. So the recommendation I come with comes from God Himself, the Father Himself. And now the very word of that Father that you claim to be following is pointing to me. So in rejecting me, you've rejected this God. So suddenly in the interview, Christ has taken control, so to speak. He had control all the time. But in following the analogy of an interview um, with a resume, this oftentimes in, in, in interviews... Um, you know, they've asked you questions and verified your resume and worked through all this stuff and then ask you, do you have any questions for us about this job or this company or this opportunity? That's not uncommon. So it's like Christ took advantage of that question. He says, okay, thank you. Let me ask you something now. In verses 41 to 47, his follow-up question to them, he says, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? And do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is no one, I'm sorry, there is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So he just took out that whole foundation that they based their challenge and their argument against him by coming with the law, specifically in breaking of the Sabbath. The whole whole foundation, the whole structure that they based their argument on, Christ just eliminated it. He said, you're basing your argument on the law of Moses. You've rejected me, therefore you've rejected the law of Moses. You have no foundation from which to talk to me, to ask me this question, to challenge me on this. So in his follow-up question, so to speak, to borrow the analogy of the interview, Christ says, 
the, even, the, the very reason you have to even question my ability and opportunity to do this, I've just removed. So you look to the Scriptures to find the will of God, the law of God, the Word of God. And you've built a structure around obeying that. You've challenged me on it today. Yet it is the very law is what condemns you. Shows you that you have broken the law. Shows you that you are separated from God. Hence the entire system of sacrifices and festivals that were to demonstrate their submission and obedience and recognition of God's redemptive work. They just followed the structure and said, as long as we follow the structure, we're okay. Forgetting the whole reason the structure existed was to see and be reminded of and to rejoice in God's redemptive work. So Christ is that whole thing that you've based everything on and you're claiming life. I'm not condemning you. Moses, the one who you've built your argument on, is the one that condemns you, not me. Yet, you're not even believing Moses because you're not believing me because Moses spoke about me and wrote about me and was preparing you for me. So you have just neglected your own argument and you have just invalidated your own argument that you've presented to me. He showed them that in this section that they valued, the Pharisees valued pure opinion rather than God's opinion. And they got so stuck in following man's opinion. Are you obeying the law? Am I obeying the law? Yes, you're obeying the law. Am I obeying the law? Yes, you're obeying the law. Then we're okay. We're all good because we're all obeying the law. We're following the structure. That was an oversimplification of exactly what the Pharisees were doing. I'm okay because you told me I'm obeying the law, and you're okay because I'm telling you you're obeying the law, so we're all good. And we're better than them because we're obeying the law better than they are. That was the Pharisees' perspective. And Christ says in doing that, and seeking each other's opinion to make sure if you're good or not and following the law of Moses, you have completely neglected God's perspective on how you're relating to Him, which is the whole reason that structure existed in the first place. So Christ confirms that His, Christ teaches that His confirmation doesn't come from man. I don't need man's testimony, but my confirmation comes from the Father, the one who sent me. The Pharisees didn't have the same love that even God had in sending His Son and providing the structure because they neglected this miracle and this healing of this man on the basis that the miracle happened on the Sabbath. And there's a rejection of the law in their perspective. The Pharisees glorified themselves and each other through human attempt to obey the law and neglecting pursuing of God's favorable opinion of them. So Christ lays this back out to them. And Christ says, finally, this condemnation that comes from Moses, who you claim to be following, I'm not here to accuse or condemn you. It's Moses' law that accuses and condemns you. And if you had received what Moses was trying to teach you, if you'd look past the structure and appreciate and understand and submit to the reason for the structure, you would believe me. But because you haven't, you've rejected me. It also shows that you've rejected what Moses was doing. Therefore, you have no basis. You have no foundation or ground to even talk to me or to challenge me about this Sabbath violation, this, this um, supposed Sabbath, Sabbath violation, because you've neglected the very law, Lord of the Sabbath. 
So have you ever been in or seen an interview like that, where not only the interviewer answered questions in confidence, but used their own resume to destroy the company, basically, that was trying to interview you, or the person? See, in the process of demonstrating the invalidity of their line of reasoning, Christ demonstrated his authority. So this is Christ's response to the Pharisees' rejection of his demonstration of power by healing the man and claim to authority, identifying himself with God by saying, you've got John's testimony or recommendation, reference. You have the works that I'm doing, even this miracle of healing. Um, and there would be more demonstrated. Um, the fact that the Father sent me to do these things is his recommendation enough. And the fact that I am the word of God that you claim to be trying to follow. He closes out that argument with them. So as we're going to close out and transition uh, to the discussion groups, reflect on our response, both the theological and the practical. What is our response to Christ's demonstration of power and his claim to authority? Are we submitting or are we rejecting? And then be honest as individuals, as families, and as a church that claims to be building what we are doing and how we are doing it on the Word of God. As Christ has taught the Pharisees and has taught us in John chapter 5, um, this is who I am, and I'm here to do com- complete redemption. You know, the works that I'm here to do, I presented to the Pharisees in that challenge. So how, what is our response to that on both a theological and practical level? Um, so with that, we'll be dismissed.